If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio. You're listening to a Roddenberry Podcast. This episode of Mission Log is sponsored by Factor. Head to factormeals.com slash missionlog50 and use code missionlog50 to get 50% off your first box. That's code missionlog50, the number's 50, at factormeals.com slash missionlog50 to get 50% off your first box. This episode is also sponsored by listeners like you. Support us on Patreon. Join us today for early access to shows and the Mission Log Discord at patreon.com slash mission log. Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast, episode 487, Macrocosm. Welcome to another episode of Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm Norman Lau. And I'm John Champion. Each week on Mission Log, we look at the tiniest little details in an episode of Star Trek, magnify them, and examine them to see if there are morals, meanings, and messages to be found, and if they blow up real good in the end. This week, Macrocosm, the one where the crew of Voyager comes down with a viral infection. Then the virus gives a whole new meaning to the phrase, Go big or go home. Or blow up real good. Just saying, that is an option too. I'll be back with trivia in a moment after a reminder on how to reach us. Mission Log is a conversation about Star Trek. Drop us a line at missionlog at roddenberry.com and join us on Twitter and Facebook at Mission Log Pod. While you're at it, leave us a review and a rating at Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast platform. And please remember your comments could be used on Mission Log or Engage on the Roddenberry YouTube channel. We'll have John's trivia in just a moment, but first, a word from one of our sponsors this week, and that is you. Hey, before we went on the air, Norman, we were just talking about what's happening in Discord and a whole conversation about music fandom and uh, your collection of vinyl. And I just love mm-hmm. that it's not always Star Trek. It's not always science fiction. It is all kinds of stuff to find in the Mission Log Discord. And one thing that we haven't talked about much at all, aside from the quality of conversation, the great curated threads that we have there, is... Also, how that community spills over into the real world. Like, Mm -hmm. we haven't really talked too much about how that's where a lot of the planning goes on for real-world events. People meeting at conventions, get-togethers, parties, and planning for what we'll be doing in Vegas, like the Mission Log Party, strictly for our Patreon members. I mean, a lot of people in in our Discord and the members of our Patreon community, they've kind of like taken it upon themselves to help build the community also kind of from the the ground up. So as much as as we like saying that we started it, it's really the community that's helped continue to grow this entire like experiment, this process that is the, the Mission Log Discord and come for the Star Trek. Stay for everything else. Star Trek is what brought you into the conversation, but you'll stay for the food talk, you know, the music talk, everyone sharing photos of their cosplays, and especially when they go to conventions. Or if you can't make it to a convention, there are members of our community that share their experiences so you can try and make it to the next convention or feel inspired uh, to go. Uh, if it's your first time, if you, if you have reservations about going, all of our community members will rally behind you and make you feel like you're part of this, this wonderful group of people. Shout out to some of those newest members, Philip, Nick, Shams, Vince, Michael, Reese, Kigar, Kyung, Ryan. There's so many people. We love seeing those new faces join us. And remember, it's not just about the early access to shows. It's not just about the cool swag that you get that is exclusive to Patreon, but it's really about that community at Discord. There are live shows there. There's all kinds of discussion. So join us today at patreon.com slash mission log, and we will see you there. And now, here's John Champion with this week's trivia. 
All right, macrocosm friends, we have an episode written by Brandon Braga. And here we have Brandon delivering an action-heavy script with some horror influence. Oh, and say it isn't so, really? <laughs> I know, shocking. No. Absolutely shocking, right? Okay. I, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I <laughs> hate to have to break it to you that way. Yeah. Now, here's what's interesting, though. He actually said that he came up with this as an experiment to see if he could write an episode of Voyager with no dialogue at all, just relying on visual storytelling. So he fleshed it out, but ultimately realized that he'd need at least a couple of acts of dialogue to tie it all together. So that part of the experiment was abandoned, but not the premise, which basically had Janeway in an action-heavy role, and why not? Episode was directed by veteran Trek director Alexander Singer, who we have mentioned many times before, but let's meet the virus, shall we? Because this was kind of a big deal for the episode. You had Dan Curry taking inspiration from real-world microorganisms like diatoms, but then giving them a bit more of a menacing and alien look, you know, changing up with the texture would be like ch- uh, changing what their, uh, their physiology and what the, the mechanics would be like, how they interact. Then you had what was to be a very big step for Voyager in bringing a fully realized CG creature on board the ship with extensive interaction with the real-life characters. Now, keep in mind, the only CG creature that we have seen up to this point was the cave-dwelling beast in Basics Part 1 and 2. Remember the one that ate Hogan? (laughs) That guy? All right. But we only got glimpses of that, and usually at a pretty far distance from the characters. So now we have the CG characters out and about in a variety of lighting and set conditions and interacting in different ways. And this led the way for Voyager to get even more ambitious and bold in using CG in the future. And we have just a couple of uh, guest stars to mention this week. The uh, the TAC-TAC console, who we meet at the beginning and the end of the episode, is played by Albie Selznick. May not come as a surprise to you that Albie's specialty lies in movement and dance, and that is why we saw him once before on screen in the TNG episode Cost of Living. In that one, he was a juggler. He's also a magician, and he performs at the Magic Castle, and we will catch him one more time on a later episode of Voyager in a different role. And then there's Michael Fisk, and he plays the ill-fated Garen Minor. Uh, and other than two more TV guest roles that predate this episode of Voyager, that's all we've got on Michael. And Macrocosm is his last professional TV or film credit. Please stand by. I am updating my antivirus subroutines before we go any further. Prologue. Janeway and Neelix are returning to Voyager after a three-day trade mission with the Tac-Tac, an alien species new to us all in the Delta Quadrant. Things are a little challenging with the rather, well alien protocols in their conversation. Fortunately, Neelix was able to save the day, and for his diplomatic efforts, Janeway promotes him, maybe half-jokingly, to ambassador. When they arrive at the rendezvous coordinates, Voyager isn't there. In fact, she's a full light year away, and when Janeway's shuttle does approach, the captain finds that the ship is perfectly still, no communications, no sign of the crew, nothing. Act 1. Entering a seemingly abandoned Voyager, Janeway and Neelix find sensors are of little use. There are strange bioelectric signals, and one of the gel packs on board has ruptured. Otherwise, things look as if they've just been stopped. No signs of damage, no phaser fire, nothing else. Neelix's daily vlog is playing in Samantha Wildman's quarters, and based on the time, they figure whatever went down on Voyager happened about 11 hours ago. And things get weirder. Janeway is able to track down some uh, goo with proteins, amino acids, and non-humanoid DNA that just ate through a transporter pad. What's more, other power systems are failing, and they'll have to rely on auxiliary. 
There's an odd buzzing sound that seems to crop up every now and then, and something buzzes around, knocking into the turbo lift, carrying Janeway and Neelix to the bridge. Whatever it is, it pounds on the wall of the lift, and a tentacle of some sort comes bursting through. Before Janeway can blast it with a phaser, that thing does manage to poke Neelix right in the chest with some of that alien goo. He's stunned, but still able to carry on as they escape the lift through the top hatch and onward to a Jeffrey's tube. Neelix gets a bit weaker, but the both of them are encouraged when Janeway picks up some faint human life signs on her tricorder. The first priority still is to restore power to the main computer, but Neelix can't make the trip. He's succumbing to whatever attacked him, fever, headache, weakness. Janeway carries on to find a med kit, but the buzzing starts up again. Seconds later, Neelix cries out for help, and then he's gone. Act 2. Janeway is on her own now. She cautiously makes her way to engineering, seemingly tracked by whatever has incapacitated the crew and taken away Neelix. She's better armed now, with a bag of explosives, a phaser rifle, and a tank top for good measure. The more Janeway makes her way through Voyager, she finds signs of the alien goo everywhere, and that's because a buzzing, tiny alien something has followed her and stings her on her arm. It's a little flying bug that she squashes with her hand, and then immediately uses a medical application to heal the wound. By now, Janeway has made it to the mess hall where she finds a good number of the crew in a near-unconscious state. They're wheezing, sweaty, and it does appear that more of those tiny flying bugs are emerging from Chakotay's neck. That's not disgusting enough. A very large, flying, buzzing something with a tentacle lunges toward Janeway. Don't worry, she shoots it with that phaser rifle, and it is no more. She then drags her hurt self to sickbay to find the EMH, suspicious at first, but welcoming her in. Act 3. He quickly treats the captain and gives her the lowdown on the situation. Voyager has been invaded by a macro virus. While the captain was away, they were contacted by another group of aliens, the Garens, who had an outbreak on their mining colony. The EMH beamed down on his own to investigate, he being the safest one out of the crew. What he found was a miner, very ill from the virus, but something even more curious than that. The infection seemed to localize in one spot on his neck, and then by using tissue from the host and growth hormone, the virus mutated into a new life form, one that first emerged from the neck wound as a tiny flying bug but grows rapidly. Following protocols, the EMH beamed back to Voyager by himself, but he hesitated before purging the transporter's biofilter. Some of the viral content made its way into the transporter buffer without him or anyone else knowing. He got to work on an antiviral medication, but meanwhile, that sample that hitchhiked with him was already making its way around Voyager, first in the bioneural gel packs, including the one in the mess hall, and that's where Bellana got exposed while trying to fix it. Act 4. As Janeway's immediate wounds are healed, the doctor gives her a shot of the antiviral and continues his story. All of the crew on deck 2 got sick in pretty short order. Chakotay established immediate containment and quarantine protocols, and the EMH took a specimen from Balana back to sickbay to work from that. The sample grew at an alarming rate just like the others emerging from their human hosts. The good news is that the EMH's antiviral works. The bad news is that the macrovirus is replicating and growing like crazy, and its scary protruding tentacle-like needle for injecting DNA is just as clumsily threatening to the EMH if it knocks his mobile emitter. So, while the medication works, the EMH can't get close to the crew to administer it, and the macrovirus keeps replicating. Janeway perhaps can help, but there's a big virus knocking on the door to sickbay. Act 5. Their best hope is for Janeway and the EMH to split up to get to environmental control. There they can administer an airborne antivirus. Along the way, Janeway gets in a few good shots taking out macroviruses with a phaser, but the EMH is overwhelmed and takes refuge in a shuttle. Just as Janeway gets close enough, Voyager starts taking weapons fire from the TAC-TAC console. 
they're aware of the virus and uh, purified the outbreak on the Garen's mining outpost. Now it's time to purify Voyager. But Janeway begs for a reprieve. They have a cure. They just need to administer it. The TAC-TAC agrees and gives Voyager one hour. Okay, fine. But when the TAC-TAC opened fire, he damaged environmental control systems. So Janeway has a new idea. Open up the holodeck to let the viruses find people. Well, characters that are giving off infrared radiation to attack. With that as a diversion, the EMH could administer the antiviral to the crew, and Janeway can finish the job with an antigen bomb, uh, okay, really an antivirus, directly into the holodeck after fighting off one last stray macrovirus. The TAC-TAC consul is pleased he won't destroy Voyager, and finally, with a moment to rest, Janeway relaxes in her ready room with some coffee, art, and light jazz. Chakotay reports that everything is okay, and he invites the captain to join him and some others for a ski trip in the holodeck. No thanks, though. Janeway has had enough action for one day. Fade out on light jazz. The end. Uh, fantastic recap, John. And I know that this is this is for audio, not video, but I would yeah. very much appreciate it if you took your hands off your hips. <laughs> I found that kind of insulting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it it is insulting. Now, uh, offline, of course, Earl says that that scene plays very well if you uh, sync up Vogue to that moment. (laughs) So shout out to Earl for that very timely tip. I'm definitely look, I'm totally amused by the the whole drama of the alien gestures like they just went for it. Mm -hmm. The makeup I'm not crazy about. (laughs) The the makeup is. But again, you you have to you uh, Michael Westmore and his team, they have to come up with all of these new ideas every week and Sometimes, like we've seen something like that before with that oddly connected tissue in the middle of the face. It's just strange, but I think the gestures are just fun. Yeah, the uh, the gestural language that reminded me a little bit of Darmok, you know, with the Temerian metaphorical language. And you're, I know that's not the focus of this episode, but you know, kind of that the communication frustration is there. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't know what's more frustrating. They're communicating with like movements and gestures or them, the tactic trying to eat. (laughs) <laughs> that, through that I, prosthetic. I don't want to see that. I Every time they get a drink, they have to have like a double, uh, double-sided <laughs> like straw. straw, you know? Yeah, yeah. They need dope. one of those beer hats. That, that's what straws. they need, exactly. Yeah. Exactly, mm-hmm. yeah. I, I do have to say that by having this scene in the teaser, though, it's a nice return to a season one kind of thing, which we don't often get, which is this Janeway and one crew member getting some time to chat on their own. I miss moments like that. I think they're really good. I like the um, the, the idea of Ambassador Neelix, and this is one of those moments where Neelix could really oversell the gratitude, but he didn't. Yeah. Right? He was just like, yeah. I like the sound of that. That's yep. nice. Yep. Yeah. Totally. Okay. And that was it. That was done. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. We, we have bigger, you know, macrocosms to fry. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. And now I do like we get a callback to the Good Morning Voyager program that Neelix does, you know? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So I, I like that because it's a morning show. Mm-hmm. But if it's always black in space, <laughs> then exactly whose solar morning are they using to standardize morning? These, this is oh. where my brain goes with something like that, right? Is it oh. is Voyager's like atomic clock like set to Federation Standard Time? I, it FST? might be, which might be San Francisco. You know, it might be yeah. or Geneva. You know, so yeah. I don't know. And then if there's a power outage on Voyager, who has Ooh. to reset all the clocks? Oh, oh no! Right? Yeah, that's... and is it FST or FDT or if it's just FT? Yeah. Oh, I, I hope th- I hope that in the 24th century we don't have uh, daylight saving time. <laughs> you know, the argument rages. Time. You know? <laughs> still, still, wars are fought over it. Yeah. yeah. Nice effect with the goo dropping through the transporter pad. I thought that was cool. But then I also thought, like, I don't want to be the guy who has to stand on that repaired transporter pad mm-hmm. the next time they beam somewhere. Is that fixed? Yeah. Yeah. It's right, fixed. right. Are you sure? It's, <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> Give it a try. What's going to happen? Yeah. The melting part of it, when you when they did the close-up on it, it reminded me of like every single time an alien 
from you know the the alien franchise like melted through something you know the blood yeah. the acid melted through something it was very nice and you know corroded and drippy you know nice yep. effect yeah yep. that was good stuff a lot to clean up for the set crew by the way because uh, it's everywhere they have it on the bridge i got the mess hall you know I'm, am i allowed to jump the timeline i have stopped myself from saying something am i allowed to jump a timeline thing here uh, okay well, well we'll give you one one opportunity here this would be a great lower decks follow-up <laughs> yes yes it would or All reference right. to yeah so yeah okay mike yeah you got it uh, you said earlier the thing about Ambassador Neelix and how we both like that, and, and she references that again in, like, the very next scene here. And I I love kind of the, the gentleness and sincerity with which Janeway handles that. Like, it's fun, but it's never mocking. It, you know, it, right. this is one of those times where it's just Janeway treating Neelix as an equal. And how many times have we sat around, you know, the conference room table and – Everybody just rolls their eyes at whatever Neelix says, you know, so that it's nice to see this sincerity with them. Well, he uh, did get her out of hot water just like a few moments ago. So that he him. did that he did now. And yeah. now it's her turn to get him out of hot water in the turbo lift shaft. I'm bummed we didn't get to see the turbo lift shaft, though. Like, I, I don't know. I, I like to see those interior parts of the ship and, you know, cut to Jeffrey's tube. But that, that's fine. I'm kind of fixated on the whole mucus thing because the mucus thing ate through yeah. the transporter pad but it doesn't eat through neelix's suit yeah right so neelix's suit essentially is more impervious than a transporter pad that's what we're saying the, the weave in his suit yes. is that strong i i do not find that hard to believe yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i do like this little bit though where uh you know he's uh he's kind of passing out like from the sickness and then janeway says there's fluid in your lungs and he just immediately goes lung Yes. And that's right back <laughs> yeah. to Phage. That's right back to season one. I thought that that was a brilliant callback. The timing on that was superb. Yeah. Absolutely superb. Yeah. Nicely yeah. done. From a technical point of view, some really good handheld camera work and use of the fisheye lens, uh, especially in the scene on the bridge, Janeway trying to uh, make her way over to the comms panel and then getting stung. Uh, like, those are things that are easy to overuse, but I thought they were used just to the right effect here. And then, you know, look, you've already mentioned Alien, and I'm sure we'll mention it again, but Janeway's, no. doing, Janeway's <laughs> doing Ripley here. But here's the thing. I love it. I sure. love Janeway as Ripley. Yep. Um, and, I mean, a, as soon as it's, you know, tank top and grenades and phaser rifle time, just uh, chef kiss superb. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. that entire scene was like an homage to, say, the, the Schwarzenegger, like, commando-style montages, yeah. you know, where you're just gearing up and you're – whatever you're wearing, you remove, and then you just strap yourself with as much armor as possible. But here's the weird thing, though. Yeah. So, so Janeway takes off her outer tunic. Then she, like, reaches up and she tries to undo um, from the back, you know, her – her mock turtleneck and when she puts her when she raises her arms above her head you can actually see that it's already flaring out so it's untucked mm. you know, oh, from yeah, the jumpsuit because yeah, yeah. yeah. it's a jumpsuit right yeah and then does everyone have the exact same thing you have the outer tunic you have the inner tunic and then you have a tank top that's a lot of gear you're wearing no it's wonder they're of, sweating it's a lot of layers <laughs> a lot right. of layers you need, need layers in space yeah I guess so yeah. space layers <laughs> space layers <laughs> I like that it's a small line but the emh saying i need to do some minor surgery i just i, I love how easy sure. it is in the 24th century it's like this, this you know battlefield technique like we, we don't need anesthesia he's, he's not gonna scrub just turn on your side i gotta do surgery <laughs> you know so easy the 24th century and then of course of course voyager got distracted by a nearby mining colony because in the star trek universe it is just lousy with miners everywhere even in the D. The big question is, where are all the truant officers in the D? Oh, oh different miners. Different miners. Different miners. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay, so big question. Big, big, big question. Yeah. How do you beam down a hologram? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you can beam down the EMH's hollow emitter, and then that thing gets maybe remotely turned on. Mm -hmm. But how do you beam up photons? Yeah. Or beam down photons? Yes. They're already energy, so... I've I've right. got another question about how the image yeah. works a little later. Yeah. Okay. So timestamp twenty four minutes twenty five seconds. The doctor is scanning the mine shaft and proceeding on vector one four seven. Yep. Of course there he it is. is. Yep. There's Can't your get away from it. 
can't get mm-hmm. away from it. I really do like seeing Chakotay stick by Starfleet protocols for infectious agents. I mean, well done there. He stuck by his guns. But but for real, the, the biofilter and the transporter needs to work better because you shouldn't just be able to walk off the transporter pad and then decide to purge it. (laughs) I mean, we've got force fields everywhere, right? Uh, So let's do that. And it's the EMH. Again, it's just the emitter at that point. So you could just purge everything. You'd be fine. You could turn them off and it would just be whatever was left. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Exactly. All right. So I had to do a head scratching moment here. So Tom Paris is holding this giant husk of a of a pot roast on a carving fork. Those things are a little flimsy. Yeah. He says it was a 12-kilo pot roast. (laughs) Even if it was charred, you're not going to lose that much mass. So I did the conversion. That's 26 pounds worth of pot roast on that fork. Whoa. So I'm just like, okay, I get it. It's a sight gag, but that's not a 26-pound. Who eats a 26-pound pot roast or, or, or makes one? By the way, where did the 26-pound pot roast come from? Do you replicate 26 pounds raw and then cook it? Or do you tell the replicator, please replicate cooked 26 pounds? Like, none of that makes sense. You're just replicating your serving of pot roast. I mean, I know sometimes we don't sweat the details, but this is food, people. And if you know us— This is very important. Very important. Yeah. Yeah. And and it was a thing to be cooked, but I, all right, well, we'll just, we'll have to come back to it sometime. I'm sorry to upset you with the stage. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) By the way, if the virus was attracted to infrared signals, why didn't the EMH also use a tricorder to scatter his thermal pattern? Because he recommends that, that, you know, (laughs) he could have. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So also like when the doctor scrapes up, you know, some of that slime, Mm-hmm. Why is that entire panel still exposed to everybody? You know, like when a biohazard happens, you lock that down. Yes. You put something on top of it. You know, like yes. you wrap it in plastic or you put like a Tupperware on top something, right? Spray Lysol on it, whatever. Whatever. Yeah. You know, and yeah. then you just, you know, but no even tape, no nothing. It's like, what is that? I don't know. It's just something leaked. Yeah. That's a bad thing, right? <laughs> put like yeah. a little, you know, a, a hazard placard on it saying, you know, slippery when wet or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I needed to take a tranquilizer or maybe an (laughs) antiviral for this next one. Uh Why would the writers think that no one in the audience would buy or or actually did buy that you would drop a force field in order to administer an actual drug to a lethal virus killing thing? Yeah. Like, hey, there's an enemy in our force field. Let me see if we drop the force field so I can physically touch it. Or I could just beam something in there Yeah, to try and administer the medication. And remember, he just just kind of motions to Kess, like, uh, stand over there. Stay back. No, no, no. (laughs) Like, get the hell out of the room. Right? (laughs) The protocols are just failing everywhere. The protocols are failing worse than than Tuvok's last security measure. So, you know, so much. So much. And then, okay, we we had our shout out to 47. But then, okay, in the incredibly long directions segment of the show, take a left at section 31. Hey. Yeah, really. (laughs) Do do that, okay? Let's take a left at section 31, shall we? Self-referential, man. Uh So we talked about... Janeway being, you know, uh, just kind of emulating this great Ripley presence. But when the doctor was going through the Jeffries tube, that was straight up feeling like a lot of Bishop vibes from Alien. You know, when Bishop was locked into that long corridor. I mean, they even did that scene where he was isolated going through that one tunnel, which is like a lamp. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Good point. By the way, I'm sorry to keep harping on this, but the whole, that, that whole thing about the directions like gotta go here you gotta go there you gotta do this gotta that was just such a weird way to eat up time in this episode like i picture brandon going like okay well i can't can't do this episode totally silent now i'm just gonna put all the words in there because this long set of directions through tubes and corridors why would the emh not remember because that's his word remember is Mm -hmm. his word or not just download the information Hold that thought because I've got more <laughs> questions about what he did or didn't download in this episode. It looks like you and I have locked into very specific <laughs> concerns with this episode. I, I think this is an episode where we have to. Yeah, <laughs> it really okay. is. But by the way, 
big, big props. I don't know if this was just grumbling among the writer's room, if this was Brandon's inspiration or whoever, but this is what I want to see. It's macroviruses attacking the weird 90s Club Med holodeck simulation. More of that, please. Mm -hmm. You could have just done an episode of that, and it would have been great. I Mm -hmm. love that scene. I was like, I was... You know, fist pumping the air. I was like high fiving yes. people that weren't in the room. It was awesome. <laughs> it was, it was kind of like you're taking this action adventure, you know, trope uh-huh. of a show, and then you just throw in this kind of like B schlock movie theme, you know, like Macrovirus yes. Two, you know, Electric Boogaloo or something like that, or The Quickening, <laughs> yes. right? Yes, so, yes, yeah, exactly. One other thing this episode gives us is the antigen bomb, and that is my new Bootsy Collins tribute band name. But which generation is it anti? That's what I want to know. Ooh, is it, is yeah. that too meta? First, no, that, that was good. That was okay. good. Yeah. All right. So <laughs> why didn't the captain put together the antigen bomb and then baited the virus to attack the infrared targets herself, like with the tricorders, like earlier? Like, yeah. Like they had to wait. Um, uh, put a pin in that. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Because yeah. I'm just like, uh, um, also the knife fighting the virus thing. So that was a thing. <laughs> it was. It happened. You saw it with your own two eyes. I did. Yeah. Sometimes yeah. I wish I didn't. Uh-huh. But it did happen. Yeah. Uh, another thing that happened is we have, let's see, uh, again, that final scene. We got light jazz going. Uh, she's not She's not painting. Like We haven't seen Janeway take up a, an art form recently. And it, it's like a, like a colored pencil sketch, like a drawing that she's doing, like this pastoral scene. Uh, we have the return of that Gilt Edge coffee cup. Mm. Again, very interesting because it's not that standard stainless steel. Oh, wait a minute. Where, where was I going? With that? Oh, yes. Uh, light jazz fade out. I have a social media idea. Hear me out. Learn to speak tac-tac on TikTok. That's it. That's the idea. We'll be right back with Macrocosm after a brief word from this week's sponsor, Factor. Now, John, we're in the spring right now, and you know what the big thing is that we all do in the spring? Ooh. Uh, oh, get in shape for summer? There's that. But also, we do a lot of spring cleaning, and that also applies to our refrigerators. Ooh, yes. Good call. So when you're taking all of the bad food out and you want to stock up on some good food, especially during spring cleaning time, you want to stock up on nutritious, convenient meals to energize you for these warmer, active days ahead. And you can do so with Factor, America's number one ready-to-eat meal kit that can help you fuel up fast with ready-to-eat meals straight to your door. You'll save time because we all love saving time. You'll mm-hmm. eat well. And if you're too busy to cook, again, saving more time. You skip going to the grocery store. They're fresh, never-frozen meals are ready in just two minutes. And all you have to do is heat them up. And if you're looking for calorie-conscious options, especially in this springtime, try their delicious, dietitian approved calorie-smart meals with around 550 calories or less per serving. How's that? That's something that I really like. So, Norman, and you and I got to try both of these, and you tried the vegan and vegetarian uh, selections. I tried the calorie-smart selections, and we got a variety of stuff, all of it fresh, all of it really delicious. I mean, uh, to have a packaged meal just sent to you, all you do is heat it up, throw it in a microwave for a couple of minutes. I was really impressed at how fresh things tasted, like vegetables stayed crisp meats stayed uh they stayed moist they felt uh like fresh delicious seasoned well i could not have been happier and especially well for me i was on a long uh, road trip and this was a great way for me to take meals with me and not have to worry about eating junk when i was on the road uh tell me about what you had so i had their smoked tofu almond stir fry hello which was fabulous nice Yes, and the portions I think are are perfect. They they they're filling, uh, but they're not. Uh, I guess the portions aren't overdone. Uh, sometimes you look at a serving, you're like, that's not going to work out. But <laughs> it's very deceptive. It's very yes. deceptive. And I also tried the the mushroom and tomato and goat cheese cavatappi, which Ooh. is a nice pasta. Yes, you know, nice. and it has this 
wonderful fruity uh, yet um, you know unctuous goat cheese in the sauce. Uh, again, these are about you know 550 calories or less, and uh, they I, I prepare them both in the oven because I like oven warming my food. Mm-hmm. So the next time I do it, I'm going to try it in the microwave and see what happens. But they came out absolutely perfect. That's great. And we got some smoothies to try, which are all delicious, fresh. I loved having that. Again, especially when I was traveling, just such a good option to be able to reach for that instead of being tempted by junk. So like Norma was just saying, they have a variety of menus to fit different lifestyles. There's keto-friendly, calorie-smart, which is what I tried, the vegan and vegetarian-friendly, which is what you tried, Protein Plus, you can mix and match. You could do chef's choice to get a variety. And all of these meals and menus are prepared by chefs and approved by dietitians. Each meal has all of the ingredients that you need to feel satisfied all day long. That's the key thing. That's what you and I both appreciated about this while meeting your goals. So there are more than 34 chef-prepared, dietitian-approved weekly options. There's always something new to try, and you can round out your meal and replenish your snack supply with an assortment of more than 45 add-ons. There are breakfast items like egg bites, smoothies, so much more. So if you want to be like me and like Norm and cut back a little bit on takeout, which is a good idea, get Factor Mm -hmm. instead. Not only is Factor cheaper than takeout, but meals are ready faster than restaurant delivery in only two minutes. Now, Factor, you can rest assured that you're making a sustainable choice as well. 100% of their delivery emissions to your door are offset, and they source 100% renewable electricity for production sites and offices and feature sustainably sourced seafood in all of their meals. So head to factormeals.com slash missionlog50, the number's five zero, and use code missionlog50 to get 50% off your first box. That's code missionlog50 at factormeals.com slash missionlog50 to get 50% off your first box. Norm, I don't know what to do. Because we, the, the last segment of the show, the previous segment of the show, is where we do just all of our fun stuff. You yeah. know, we just yeah. get out like, oh, this was cool, or this was funny, or why they do this, you know. And now is the part of the show where we're supposed to do the, the heavy, deep dive morals, meanings, messages to lead us to a conclusion, right? Yeah, right. I'm still stuck in Act 3. <laughs> I'm, I'm still stuck in the part of the show where we just kind of pick apart little things because I don't really feel like this is an episode where there are heavy, deep thoughts. Um, And some of my notes here are reminiscent of the notes that you and I had in the last segment. So I do want to, uh, again, give credit where credit is due to the show taking time to explore something that even though was played for laughs, not not big over the top, top like it, you know, side-splitting laughs, like laughs yeah. but having some fun with the idea of the mix-up of communication with the tac tac. Uh, right. The idea, like we, we've we've seen little mentions of this before in Star Trek, where like, oh, it would be a violation of protocol or cultural uh, norms if you did this. But in this, it's really extreme. And it's nice to have Neelix there to navigate it. That's all very nice. And like you said, it's shades of Darmok uh, mm-hmm. when you get to a moment like that. But they, they played it up in this fun way that also felt like totally believable in universe. <laughs> so I, I kind of have to hand it to them for, for doing that bit. Yeah, I liked it that um, that Neelix finally got a little bit more agency in his role as guide and navigator for all of these different species in the Delta Quadrant. Too many times, and we have kind of pointed this out maybe a, a little too pointedly, but Neelix hasn't always been reliable when it came to alien races and when Janeway have, you know, yeah. she has him on the bridge for that very specific purpose of who was that Neelix? And he's like, I don't know, but <laughs> I am your guide to all things Delta Quadrant. So yeah, you know, dock that from my week's paycheck. Yeah. Yeah. But in this case, I liked that he was very valuable to her in that moment where it could have been a crisis situation with an, an ally or a potential ally that would help them through the Delta Quadrant and, you know, with their resources and friendship and 
and they do at the end, but they probably would have not given Voyager the benefit of the doubt if Neelix wasn't able to reconcile the issue with the uh, the bad behavior on Janeway's part or the bad posture on Janeway's part. Yeah. Yeah, for real. All right. Let's I, I feel like this will be a big part of our discussion. And that's so funny. That like that's the responsible part of our yeah, discussion. Yeah, now we're yeah. gonna go into those points we said, hold on. <laughs> right. We're gonna get to it later. Right. That's, this is later. Because I feel like right? so much of this hinges on what was or wasn't done with the EMH. And for an episode like this, it comes down to the struggle between what do we do out of respect to the characters and the history that we've built with the characters and what is consistent versus what just tells the fun story? What makes the plot get from point A to point B to point C? And um, I I know that you can't have an episode that just resolves itself in the first act, <laughs> but how did nobody on board resolve this? <laughs> including the doctor, mm-hmm. including the EMH, before Janeway even got back. And seriously, even if you are Janeway coming, uh, why why wasn't sickbay your first stop? Like, that seems like you would just immediately go there because you know that even if everybody else is gone, even if everybody else is incapacitated, the hologram can still be there. You can still fire that bad boy up and he's there. But the EMH, there's so much that he didn't do couldn't do wouldn't do i i'm not sure like we can get to the hollow emitter stuff in a moment because you asked how he beamed down i still want to know why is he entirely downloaded to it uh that doesn't Mm -hmm. make sense uh just from a, a computing standpoint but why is the emh scared of the virus like i understand that the virus is annoying that those that weird tentacle needle thing can you know knock the uh, knock the hollow emitter off of him, which by the way also raises the question: Why didn't you just hide the hollow emitter? The hollow emitter can emit whatever, so it could emit either a piece of cloth cloth to cover that up. Yeah, or, it can be camouflaged by hologram. Yeah, yeah, or yeah. like it, it goes on a belt loop or something under the the top part of your uniform. Like you could hide that thing in many many ways. And, and like, why didn't he just open the doors to sick bay? And let those viruses find him in there if he is indeed attracting them without the mobile emitter. Because he could do that. I mean, think about it. If he knows that they're attracted to infrared and mm-hmm. he is emitting that, then he could set up all kinds of infrared emitters in sickbay, put the mobile emitter somewhere else. And just say, okay, look, there's a ton of emitters around the room. Just turn himself on in any corner of the room. Let them all come in. Boom. Antigen bomb. Problem solved. Here's another thing, by the way, because there's so many more to go. Uh Uh-huh. Couldn't he just download a sharpshooter program? Stop. Okay. (laughs) Sorry. Sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm Uh, so sorry. I'm kidding. (laughs) Okay. Because you're going to tell me to stop. Okay. All right. All right. Talk to me. Talk to me because I got more. I got more. Well, I think the biggest biggest change in the Doctor's character is that maybe they were reading kind of like the audience's response to how much they love Picardo as the Doctor, how much they love how he's evolving, how much they love how he's becoming a real crew member, a real boy, quote unquote, to quote Pinocchio. Uh Uh-huh. Ever since the mobile emitter was floated, you know, in Future's End Part 2, and he became that real person, I think that maybe they were looking at him, if he's becoming more real, maybe he's actually owning more, like, real feelings and stuff. But it does, it's 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 hugely contrasted from when he stormed into the, uh, the survivalist's camp and just got shot to pieces, but he didn't because he knew he wouldn't get hurt. Mm-hmm. So that's a really good point. You're saying, like, why does he feel like he would get hurt now by a bunch of alien stingers yeah that would attack him he's like this is funny because i I don't feel pain yeah and if they they really should have written in some way yeah maybe somehow his mobile emitter was damaged to the point where he became solid Mm. you know or what Mm. say what starling did to him resided somewhere in the hollow emitter and it just bugged and he now can feel sensations like pain when you take the the godlike ability out of the character but he still has the godlike ability, but he behaves like a mortal, it doesn't work because you know he's invulnerable. He just forgot that he was. 
Mm-hmm. So these things like fear, doubt, you know, the ability to feel like he's in some way like in mortal danger, it doesn't work. Yeah. But maybe that's where they were trying to go with the doctor to make we, the audience, feel a little bit more sympathetic to his fear and his paranoia of these macro aliens. But even more than this, John, yeah. now I'm going to go through kind of like I was trying to okay. rationalize okay. yours. Right. So All I'm right. going to present to you mine. Go ahead. I think the biggest issue here is that you have science, i.e. like the medical application of how to defeat this virus versus the dramatic presentation of the action adventure story trying to defeat this virus equals mass confusion. (laughs) Yeah. Right? Because you're trying to tell two very specific stories and try and weave them into one cohesive story, but they're so strong on their own that when you actually try and merge them together, they just collide and turn into this giant mess. Mm -hmm. Because... We've said this before where sometimes you have to turn your brain off in order to enjoy something, yeah. right? We all do it. We're, we all make exceptions to a rule. But then we turn our brains back on. And we're like, okay, that was fun, but I have questions. As many times as I tried to turn my brain off in this episode, there were just too many questions <laughs> that were being raised. Like, yeah. let's say, uh, okay, we've come up with a couple. You came up with a couple. So I, I mentioned this before in my observations. Why did the doctor have to drop force fields in order to administer the medication? Right. That's what force fields are for because you want to prevent that danger from escaping. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And you've done it before. You've been able to pinpoint transporter, you know, uh, transporter things into the force fields, kind of like when they were treating Tom, you know, for his, you know, his, his pizza fetish. So, <laughs> yep. No, or even when yeah. Tuvok was, you know, going crazy from the mind melt, you know, they were able to beam things yeah. into yeah. and not let him escape. Or you could even make a, a tiny little hole in the forest field just enough to get that uh, antivirus through and then without letting the thing out and then see what happens. Yeah. And there were too many times that the solutions came way after the fact. Why didn't they create the airborne version of this to flood the entire ship? Oh, because the environmental controls are down. <laughs> right. Okay, of course they are, because they have to be. Yeah. But these are questions that very smart people and the audience out there is full of very smart people that would ask and takes you out of the situation. Why didn't they bring up the whole, um, like, Bellana has been, you know, she's been waylaid by the virus so that she can't. Well, of course she can. Yeah. Except that now she can't because she's the only one on board, obviously, who can fix environmental controls. Right. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But then there's the whole, like you brought up, the whole doctor is uh, basically a walking infrared target if he wants to be. Yeah. So why wasn't he? <laughs> right. Right. But he literally because, is yeah. the most invulnerable person on the ship. It's like basically saying, okay, it's like data because data would handle all of these you know, mm-hmm. all of these issues and just kind of like walk through things like and with, you know, you know, super high plot armor. Yeah. You know, until he's not, you know, until something would affect him that would break his plot armor. So that's what happened to the doctor. He was built up with this incredible amount of plot armor and they used none of it in order for them to get them out of the situation. By the way, do you think that the EMH should take offense at using holodeck characters as bait for the macro virus? (laughs) I don't. He's like, that's a good idea. Yeah. Why didn't I think of that? Yeah, that's a good question. Why didn't you think of that? They're like me. Right? They're my species. Yeah. Right? How dare they yeah. put him at risk? Yeah, yeah. But that's like the most perfect point that you can make is he's a hologram. They're holograms. And why are they running from the viruses? <laughs> well, see, but that's so, right? so weird. Janeway said that she programmed them. I, and all of this happens in a very short amount of time, right? She programmed right. them to respond to the virus like oh that's right that's right i forgot why Whoops. but, but yeah, why would sure. that even matter why would that even matter like do, do the viruses get off on the idea that people are running from them <laughs> and scared like that hasn't been established if she yeah. didn't program them when the viruses flew in like would some of those like you know dude bros say like what's up man you want a drink right exactly right to a virus like floating by like no sting but it wouldn't happen because you know he's holiday you know yeah. he's a holiday program so that's not cool man and by the way about a drink everything right? in there is giving off infrared radiation everything so in theory then those viruses would be attacking like the volleyball and you know the drinks and everything <laughs> in that space and the lounge chairs they're just going after everything yeah 
There's not a lot of logic to be found there. I do want to talk about uh, the EMH's mobile emitter a little bit, though, because I, you know, they make this point in the episode that his program has to be downloaded to the emitter, and then if the emitter gets damaged, he could be gone forever. Why? Why? <laughs> Why? Right? Like. It isn't if you have enough room to store him on a computer in Voyager, and then enough room to move that into the mobile emitter? Why don't you have room for both? Because it just makes sense that you have a backup in the cloud of all your important data. You know that that's how this happens, right? And and at some point, of course, we don't know exactly how that mobile emitter works. It is 29th century technology. I totally get it. We don't even know if it can be replicated, if it were to be damaged or lost, but. Surely somebody needs to be investigating that thing to figure out, hey, wow, if we ever lose the doctor, we need to make sure that we have this thing back. And then that goes back to that question that you had about how do you beam down photons because it's really just the information stored in the emitter. But I I think that's just how he's going to beam down now. I think that he's just going to be the full you know, image of the doctor that beams down. Although maybe that's just a construct of the emitter. <laughs> maybe oh, it's, maybe the emitter is just making it look like he beams down. How about that? <laughs> so, I mean, I think it's an interesting idea, you know, but is it, are we getting like too caught up in the weeds of they're, they're trying to tell a very specific story, but I think they're getting maybe too caught up in their own details to see that the story of the doctor is actually very good. Yeah. It's just we need to find some way to almost pad and stretch out the material that we have because we can tell the doctor's story very quickly. And if we do that, I mean, if David Livingston was directing this, you know, he would have directed like 20 minutes worth of really good content and pad for the next, what, like 29 minutes, you know, to fill a 49-minute episode. Yeah. Because that's what it felt like. It felt like there's just a lot of empty space filled with a lot of running and then a lot of cram space filled with a lot of jargon. Yeah. And it, that's where I felt the episode just comes off so uneven because you have this very, you know, very tropish action adventure. I'm like, okay, we've seen this before. Many people have. Yeah. Maybe some newer fans haven't. But a majority, I think, of the fans have seen Aliens. I'm like, okay, so this is the Aliens thing. Mm-hmm. But then you have this really nice nugget of, like, the Doctor story in there. But they don't really go anywhere with it. You know, it's yeah. they have one great moment yeah. between, say, he and Chakotay about the Doctor feeling flexing his overzealousness of trying to take care of patients on the mining colony and saying, no, we got to do this. We have to save lives. And that's what the doctor does. But then it's tempered by Chakotay's like, I understand that, but we also are responsible for our own people. And when they came to kind of like that moment where the doctor apologizes, then Chakotay says, no, you were right in believing what you're believing, but I'm also right in protecting the crew. You did what you had to do. I did what I had to do. Yeah. And rarely do you see good moments between the Roberts, you know, Beltran and Picardo. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was a really good scene between them because it kind of reminds you that, yeah, the doctor was doing the right thing. And it was good part of the story that was completely swallowed up by a very nonsensical story in itself. Totally agree. There are many references in my database to people getting it in the neck, but this takes that phrase to a disturbing new level. Well, I can tell you one thing, Norman, that as we go into our final act of our podcast, uh, neither of us is having a knife fight with a macro virus. That's just one thing that is for sure. Uh, we, it's just not that high risk an operation here. Uh, we just have the luxury of sitting back watching Star Trek, talking about it, talking about the morals, meanings, messages, and whether or not the episode holds up. And that is where we are now. So, Norman, looking at macro virus... Uh, a macrovirus, the macrovirus, many viri. Uh, many ep- viri. Many viri. Okay. There are so many. Right. Does the episode hold up? Okay, so knife fight with a virus. If you're playing the home game <laughs> and you have your bingo card out, there you go. Circle yeah. gets the square. Yeah. Good for you. Good for yeah. you. Um, so here's a strange reaction to this episode. Now, I'll probably explain it more in morals, meetings, and messages, but okay. I actually do think this episode holds up. I know that for <laughs> for kind of like the lashing that I've given this episode, mm-hmm. you know, in their earlier segments, I actually do. But I'm going to caveat this yes with many of my comments, starting with at first viewing from here on out. Mm, okay. So I said, at first viewing, dot, 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 uh, 
this is Star Trek meets James Cameron's Aliens. Sure. You know, one of the most, the pinnacle action movie from like 1986, right? Yeah. There's a little dash of the thing in there because you have this horror isolationist type of story going on. This is all very part and parcel with kind of Brandon Brockett's style of writing and mm-hmm. kind of like his vision for an episode. And then you have Janeway doing like double duty as Ripley and McReady. You know, yeah. that was Sigourney Weaver and Kurt Russell respectively. But here's the yeah. thing. So if I showed this episode of Voyager to someone who's never seen Star Trek before and say you skip like the opening and closing credits or anything that actually says Star Trek Voyager Mm -hmm. and you haven't just watched the episode, I'd be really interested to get that person's reaction. And after I said, this is a Star Trek episode, right? Because I think nine times out of 10, maybe more than that, maybe a full 10, maybe they just see this as like the science fiction action adventure episode, because aside from a few small pockets of what I consider interesting character building for the doctor, that's exactly what this is. It's 90s science fiction action adventure. And I think that there are, or there were just as good as, or better science fiction shows of the nineties that did stuff like this better. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't terrible, but it wasn't Mm -hmm. anything signature or special to star Trek. But that being said, you know, and at first viewing dot, 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 this is a very entertaining episode. The more I watched it, because I think the lighting and I think the production, and I think all of these technical aspects of the episode are very good. I felt that, that, that tension, that isolationist type of motif. I thought that that was handled actually really good, mm-hmm. you know, because that's the thrust of this type of, uh, of the trope. Kate Mulgrew threw herself into the part. I mean, to the point where I think that she actually, worked out, got in shape, really built herself up physically for the part of doing mm-hmm. the Ellen Ripley thing, you know, with a tank top, with carrying a, like a ton of props, you know, mm-hmm. with slinging herself in, you know, Jeffrey's tubes and crawling up ladders and doing the action scenes. All that is great, you know, and that is also something that um, maybe shows off a little bit of a different dimension to her more academic captain. She's now the action adventure captain. So she mm-hmm. has it all. She has the brains and she has the brawn mm-hmm. all in this one particular captain, the first female captain of Star Trek. And that is perfectly fine. I think that, you know, overall, it's just one of those reminders that not everything has to be highbrow Star Trek, high concept Star Trek, you know, high idea Star Trek. Yeah. But at the same time, though, there is that in there. If you watch it, the multiple times that you and I watch it to actually find these types of morals, meanings, and messages in the episode. So yeah, there's a lot of risk involved with being the captain. There's a lot of risk going out in you know, space where it's dangerous. There's obviously a lot more risk in the Delta Quadrant where you're not in the safety in the bosom of Federation space. And, you know, to quote another episode, risk is their business. <laughs> well said, well said. Yeah. So oddly enough, I'm going to be pretty positive about this episode too because we have had a lot of fun here we have poked Mm -hmm. a lot of holes in this episode but honestly it does what it sets out to do very well which is build tension make janeway a badass show scary monsters and make them blow up real good i mean that that is what what needs to happen here and it happens i mentioned before the tac tac are really weird as a concept and good for them Eh, change up the makeup the gestures, the language patterns, they made something alien out of that that was fun, but also believable in-universe. There is some great Cronenberg-esque body horror stuff going on here with, you know, bugs flying out of neck wounds. And if you didn't know who wrote this and you got a description of the episode, you just reflexively shout Brandon Braga and you'd be right. Mm-hmm. And you can tell that this is an episode that has a tremendous amount of build-up and action And they just don't quite know how to put a button on it at the end (laughs) of Act 5, which I find kind of charming because it's sort of like whatever the one episode is of the original series where you have the, you know, the freeze frame, the slap on the back. And it's just like, okay, this one, we're going to have tea and a painting and jazz. And we're going to go out on that slow fade to black. I think really the odd thing about this is the EMH because the character is the Gumby of this episode since he doesn't play to the top of his abilities that we have already seen before. You know, a few weeks ago, he was brushing up on how to lead an insurgency. That I, I wanted more agency out of him, so it feels like a bit of a step backward, but 
again, we're here to highlight Janeway. CG macrovirus. Okay, it, it doesn't hold up really well. It is a relic of its time. But I'm also okay with that because it's a really good relic of its time. And it shows Voyager stretching its own creative boundaries a bit. And, you know, honestly, that's a good sign for Voyager overall because we've been changing up our expectations with the types of stories that we tell and the experimentation with effects and just throwing in some bonkers ideas that in the end come across as fun. So does it hold up? On its own, just if you were to, like you said, hand this to somebody and say, this is Star Trek, no, it does not hold up. But in context, a thousand times, yes, it holds up because of what it's trying to do and stretch our expectation of a character like Janeway and what we can do with the format that we've got. So, yeah, it does mm -hmm. hold up in that respect. Now, when it comes to morals, meetings, messages, I'm struggling here a little bit, uh, but you pulled a line in the last segment that I really like, which is uh, Chakotay saying to the EMH, compassion is nothing to be sorry about, doctor. It won't be the last time you're faced with a moral dilemma in the field. That above really anything else that happens in this episode is one of those very hallmark Star Trek ideas that is just presented to the audience here in very black and white terms. We don't spend a whole lot of time on that. We don't get into much depth on that. But if the EMH then is a proxy for us, the audience in this place, here's the situation that is challenging. I can feel what feels like the right thing to do, but I also know that I have certain duties and uh, protocols that I need to follow to also think about the safety of others. Then sometimes I have to let those feelings go so I can then find the next better solution. So I appreciate that that was in there even if that's not what the episode is truly about at the end of the day. I think it's a nice little uh, little tip of the hat to what makes Star Trek tick. Uh, how about with you, Norman? Well, at first viewing, I had certain feelings, but then after subsequent viewings, I had different feelings. And I wrote something out here, and, and we do that at the end. Sometimes mm -hmm. we'll just yeah. lift from our notes. Sometimes we'll read verbatim. I'd like to read yeah. verbatim because there is a little bit of a soft admission and a soft apology in in what I have to say, kind of like the way that I've approached Voyager, hmm. at least in recent episodes, maybe over the course of our reviews. So watching this episode, I had to take a deep breath and look at this from the Star Trek perspective of what Janeway and Voyager symbolize, hmm. right? Not just in universe, say to the Delta Quadrant, but in the extended like universe of fandom, what it means to the Star Trek fan base what the ship means, the crew, the mission. You just can't dismiss who and what it means to be Starfleet, both in-universe and out-of-universe, and what that moral and ethical standard Starfleet means to uphold these principles of the mm -hmm. United Federation of Planets. I forget that at times when I'm watching this for entertainment and at first viewing. Remember, I keep saying that from the beginning of the last segment. So, yeah, But that means a lot when it comes to how I approach the review that I'm thinking about creating versus the review that I end up creating, which is where we are here. So after repeated viewings, something happens. It might happen for you, John. It might happen for people in the audience. It did happen to me in this episode. I tend to discover something that I missed, hmm. you know, mm -hmm. in the first viewing. But if you have enough time to watch these episodes over and over again, and really digest what's happening, you can set aside kind of the obvious plot, the obvious Janeway action-adventure story, mm -hmm. and then really find what, what you quoted and what I brought up earlier as the central theme for morals, meanings, and messages, and that's the Doctor's storyline, because he is literally the projected, literal and figurative version <laughs> of projected compassion in this episode. And he's also kind of this embodiment of star trek's optimistic outlook for better humanity right mm -hmm. it's hard to see that again in the action adventure story that is that dominates kind of like most of this episode but if people actually give themselves the opportunity to let these episodes kind of expose 
what what really is there. And I know it's hard sometimes because mm-hmm. it's not so obvious. And it wasn't in this episode until like, what, the third act? <laughs> then you might be able to find what we find. I'm just wondering, for the Voyager fans that are watching this when it first came out in 1996, like, do you react like this way to an episode where you can't see it, you can't see the obviousness of it? Or are you always like bought into Voyager trying to make the concessions with other alien races and these side quests in order mm. for them to forge this journey home, to make these alliances and to make friends in the Delta Quadrant, etc. Because when you really think about it, you know, these shuttle missions are like, why are they delaying their journey home? Why are they putting their people at risk? And why are they doing these very extraordinary things when they can just make a straight line back to the Alpha Quadrant? It's because you miss these moments like the doctor finding his humanity, treating the miners, mm-hmm. and showing how exemplary the traditions and the principles of Starfleet are. You can do that on the ship, but it makes more impact when you do that and prove to the alien races out there that this is who we are. This is humanity at its best, and that's Star Trek. Mission Log is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. If you'd like to support us directly, you can do so at patreon.com slash mission log for early access to shows and the mission log discord. Our website is missionlogpodcast.com, And for more Star Trek news and discussion, visit trekmovie.com. On the next mission log, fair trade. Some of the music for mission log provided by warp 11. Online at Warp11.com. Special thanks to consulting producers, Adam Brusky, Matt Esposito, Homer Frizzell, John Mann, Mike Richards, and Mike Shabel. Upgrade your antivirus protection for all of your systems, but maybe especially for your transporter. transmission. This is a Roddenberry podcast. For more great podcasts, visit podcast.roddenberry.com.